With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Kaboom! If you thought four hours a day, 1,200 minutes a week was enough, think again. He's the last remnants of the old republic, a sole bastion of fairness. He treats crackheads in the ghetto gutter the same as the rich pill poppers in the penthouse. Wow. The clearinghouse of hot takes break free for something special. The Fifth Hour with Ben Maller starts right now. In the air everywhere. The Friday edition of the Fifth Hour with Ben Maller and Danny G Radio is back in the Magic Podcast Studio. Happy April Fool's Day. So exciting. Here we are together on April Fool's Day, and I am fired up. This is someone who I've wanted to get on the podcast, have not been able to pull it off the last couple of years. I don't know why. That's that's an outrage. It's not right, but we are fired up to welcome in someone that I have known for almost 30 years. It shocks me to think that I've known anyone for that long, that I'm even that old to have known someone for that long but a staple of Los Angeles sports media, a part of the Fox Sports Radio Alumni Association, and a man with tremendous bohemian tendencies, the very quirky, eccentric Vic the Brick Jacobs, a true free spirit, and a man who was a pioneer ahead of his time, and I've wanted to get Vic on the record because he told me some amazing stories back in the day 
about how he started his journey in radio. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Vic, Vic worked at Fox Sports Radio with the Loose Cannons and uh, and worked on FSR for a number of years. He's part of the FSR Alumni Association, but he is still a beloved hero in uh, Los Angeles radio on AM 570, the flagship home of Fox Sports Radio, the Dodgers station in Los Angeles. Very unique, uh, a breath of fresh air. Vic the Brick, the, these are all phrases and things that you can say about the unconventional approach to broadcasting, the haikus and all that. But we have been through a lot over the years, myself and Vic. We helped launch AM 1150, the all-sports station in Los Angeles that became the station that it is today, moving down the AM dial. Uh, but rather than me go on and on and give you the very distinguished resume of Vic the Brick, who has traveled the globe. He's a globe trekker with his unorthodox style, which is ironic because he's very kosher. Uh, but uh, certainly outlandish at times. So let's get into it with the great Vic the Brick Jacobs. And Vic, welcome, first of all. Good to have you. And I consider you the dean of Los Angeles Sports Radio, Vic. Is that an accurate statement, my man? Well, feeling you, Ben, and that statement is a delusion <laughs> because you are deluded, and I love that about you. <laughs> Well, no. There's only one dean. There's only one dean. Fred Rogan's the dean. Well, Fred, Fred's the dean of like TV, right? But I'm talking just in you know in radio. I know you did TV too, Vic. But radio, the radio airwaves, just radio alone, Vic. That medium, that is your domain, Vic. Well, again, I believe you. You you are experimenting with those psilocybin mushrooms that they're beginning to experiment with again to gain clarity and again to be part of the it's the rainbow of radio for me is a great blessing because we love it so but to, to think of me in those glowing terms ben i believe you have uh, you have dipped into the secret source <laughs> I love that about you. Well, as you know, you've known me a long time, Vic. We go way back, me and you. And but I, I you know, what I wanted you to do because we people turn over, as you know, Vic, a, a lifetime broadcaster. You know that people turn over and whatnot. The audience turns over. So I was like, how can I explain the magic for somebody who has not heard you over the years? Somebody not in LA. Somebody let's say there's a person, Vic, in Des Moines, Iowa, who maybe has never heard of the legend of Vic the Brick, how would you describe, Vic, what you bring to the Magic Radio Box? Your, your style, your, your debonair personality. How would you describe that, Vic? That's an excellent question. I bring the soul. I bring the tranquility. I bring the purity. Think of an ancient Japanese walking tea ceremony. And that is what I try to embrace right from the soul, right from the essence, attention to detail, leave no stone unturned, but the presentation must be beautiful and from the heart. And that's how I present it. It's, it's all, it's all from the sports soul. Try to get to the essence and try to give it clarity. Try to bring, Tranquility from the tumult and clarity from the chaos. 
you you calm and this is really important Vic, especially the last couple of years i've not i've not run into you i haven't seen anybody we've all been in our little caves here Vic, over the last couple of years but you are a, a right? cal- you're a calming influence when's, when's i'm trying to think when's the last time i used to run into you all the time when's the last time we hung out it had to be at least 2018 maybe 2019 it's it, it might even be before that it's been a long time Vic. we got to hang out one of these days then it had to be before a Clipper game because I know you're you're always a big fan of the Clippers. You are not a bandwagon Clipper fan, but you believed in the Clippers before you know, the media really bought into the Clippers with the vibe of the Clips. And it had to be at a Clipper game, probably at a pregame press conference. Yeah, it was, that's my that's my best guess. Yeah, it was probably something like that, or a Dodger game. Might have been a Dodger game. A Dodger like game, a Laker game. But, yeah. but I, I'm going to go Clippers because it's the odd it's the it's the odd squad out. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, I know. Do you do you own a Clipper poncho, Vic? You do not, right? You only have the Laker poncho. I don't and the Dodger one. Laker you? poncho. Yeah. Yeah. Laker poncho, of course, the Laker amulet uh, forged by Laker fans in Linwood. Mm-hmm. It was a uh, stainless steel Laker amulet that I would rock on my neck. And I'm shocked that I have not seen a chiropractor twice a week. <laughs> well, uh, We'll get to that. Now, my favorite, I got a couple of great Vic the Brick. When, when your name comes up, Vic, I always tell tell a few Vic the Brick stories. But the the one that I wanted you to share that uh, you told me sure. you told me years ago is you have an amazing tale about how you got into the media. You've had an amazing run here in in radio and TV and all that, but you didn't really plan on doing. Is that accurate? You were in Guam hanging out at a restaurant working. Is that Am I getting the story right? I remember you told me the story. Is that accurate, Vic? Well, it's accurate that I was uh, living on the island of Guam, Micronesia, and a big, a very big Hafa Day sports fans, to all of our Chamorro brothers and sisters on the island of Guam, the great, um, really, how did, territory. How did you pick? I'm trying to figure out the actual uh, political nature of Guam, it's a trust territory of the United States, mm-hmm. like Puerto Rico, basically. Okay. And I was traveling, and my goal was always to get on TV. That was always my goal. I wanted, I wanted to be a television sportscaster. I knew, I knew my, my destiny. I just was trying to forge a destiny. And I was working as an assistant beverage manager at the Guam Reef Hotel on Tumon Day, beautiful Tumon Day in Guam. And I was uh, bartending a Kiwanis Club luncheon when all of a sudden a camera crew came, uh, came into the, uh, the top of the reef ballroom. And it, I was shocked because a, a uh, typhoon had swept through the island about six months before and had knocked out all the TV stations. So I didn't even know there was a TV station on the air. But they were on the air. They came back on the air and they were, they were doing a little, uh, you know, afternoon voiceover deal with a local political type. And I said, wow, you guys are back on the air. Do you guys need a sportscaster? They said, yeah, you know, in fact, we need a sportscaster and a weather person. I said, you're kidding. They said, yeah, you should, you should apply. So I, you know, I applied the next day for a sportscasting gig and I got it. And that was my first job on the airwaves as a, uh, as a sportscaster on 
Guam Cable TV, GCTV. This was circa 1980. Wow. And so how, how long did you last in Guam before you moved on to something else? Well, one year, I had amazing uh, teachers. I had Phelps Hawkins, who was a, an adventurer journalist from the East Coast who had great experience, and he came and became the news director. He became my news director, and he guided me. You know, he gave me the, you know, the fundamentals. He was a sensational teacher. Uh, Phelps Hawkins, who's my original news director, and I believe he's, I'm not even sure where, where Phelps is now, but isn't that a great name, Phelps Hawkins? That is a good name. My original <laughs> news director. Sounds like a fake and, name. And, <laughs> uh, oh, he was a really cool dude, man. He, he was incredibly, uh, I'm trying to compare him to someone, you know, on the air today. He was just a multi-skilled journalist and just a pure heart. I mean, to go to, to Guam to be a news director, you know, he had a, gr a great sense of adventure. But uh, he was my really my first um, television pro professor, you know. So he, he, laid, he laid down the basics for me. And I had just a, a wonderful team, you know, on Guam Cable TV. And worked there for a year, put together an audition tape. And I was still working as assistant beverage manager of the Guam Reef Hotel, so I was busy. I was, at night, I was, you know, I was serving drinks and managing the, uh, you know, the top of the Reef Hotel. We had a great band, the Roberto Fracassini band. He was Italian. He played the flute. He was the leader of the band. He had a, a great uh, Tomorrow local singer. She was fantastic. Had a bass player from Newark, New Jersey. And just uh, a real cool, they played the hits. So I was up there at night, you know, supervising the room and, you know, you know, you know, gigging with the band a little bit. And by day, I was uh, doing sports for Guam Cable TV. So it was really a fun, fun time. But, you know, my sights were set, of course, on, you know, coming, coming back, to, you know, to the United States and getting a gig somewhere in America, a small station somewhere. So I started sending out the, you know, my three-quarter inch videotapes. <laughs> back in the day, there were, you know, before digital, before computers, there was a tape and film and, you know, these archaic forms of communication. That's right. Not even used today. Yeah. I don't believe there's a three-quarter inch machine used today yeah, in any market. I don't think so. Uh, I, would, I would hope not, Vic, at this point with the technology. I would hope not. Because that, that, means, that means you have a long way to go. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. <laughs> so after being rejected, then by about, you know, 200 stations, they said, you're an, you're an animal, stay in Guam, you're a circus act. Because yeah, I, I had very high energy, and I was not influenced by anyone. Because I hadn't really, I had been on the road for about you know five years, you know, traveling Southeast Asia and the South Seas, and you know, so I really had no template. I had no, I had no one to base any style on, except my own gut. So with my own gut, I developed a style which was fun, you know, communicative, facts, frenzy, and a video vavu. <laughs> and it was really too too harsh of a concept at the time, you know, circa 1980 uh, TV America to accept such a style. Yeah. So I was rejected. I would say every market, small market, large market, from Laredo, Texas, you know, to uh, to Chico, California. I mean, everyone said, you know, you're a freak. You're a freak. <laughs>
you know, North Dakota, Minnow, South Dakota. You know, it was nuts. I mean, yeah. everybody said no. And But finally, finally, I, I, I returned home. I made the great loop, you know, back to New York. And I was back in Queens, New York, sending out tapes. And I got a, a big break when Dave Brown, who was a news director at KBIM-TV in Roswell, New Mexico, a number 188 market in America, beautiful Roswell, New Mexico, of course, you know, home of the uh, home of the aliens. Yes, yes. But uh, this was back in uh, 80, 82, no, 80, I'm sorry, 1981. Okay. They said, Vic, why don't you come in for an interview? Let's talk it over. So, of course, I grabbed the Greyhound bus from New York to Roswell, two and a half days across the country, grabbed the interview with Dave Brown, and I got lucky. We connected. And the only reason we connected is because his parents were teachers on the island of Guam. Oh, so we had okay. the Guam connection. Ah, there you and go. And that's why he hired me. Yeah. And he hired me. That's great. He said, okay, Vic, you'll, do, you know, you'll, you'll shoot, you'll shoot uh, video on the weekends. And during, um, I mean, you'll do, shoot video during the week. And on the weekends, you'll be the sports guy. I said, fantastic. <laughs> that's great. And that was, the, that was it. Eureka. That was the that was the big America. That was the big mainland break. So God bless Guam, God bless Roswell, New Mexico, Dave Brown, and KBIM, the CBS affiliate, yeah. in beautiful Roswell, New Mexico, southeastern New Mexico. Now, Vic, when you were in Roswell, did you ever see the the, the aliens? Do you think you think they were still hanging out there? No, you did not. No. When I was there, it's funny. This is you know way before David Duchovny and you know, X Files. Yeah. They were really sweeping it under the table. They really didn't want to be affiliated with that alien vibe. It wasn't until years later they discovered, you know what? There's millions of dollars of tourism money to be discovered if we you know, reconnect with our, with our alien uh, connection. Oh. And they did. Okay. But when I was there in 1980, uh, it was really under the, under the radar, so to speak. You know, it was yeah. nowhere to be seen. Yeah, that's crazy. So I really had no... Uh, I, I would have loved that. I would have, because I, you know, I obviously I'm an X-Files fan. Always have been, you know, I still have, uh, you know, X-Files memorabilia, you know, in the Zendo, <laughs> you know, love Dukovny, love Dukovny, love the show. And, you know, the writing is unbelievable. And it's just uh, one of those great TV shows. I think that will live on in the history of the, of the medium. Yeah, you could have totally played that. When when you said Roswell, Vic, my in my head, I visioned you on television wearing like an alien costume doing the sports in my head. But as you said, they they didn't really embrace that back in in the early. That would have been a, that, that would have been a good concept. Yeah, but the the, you know, the aliens were not in the uh, in the mindset of of the people at that time. It really was almost an embarrassing thing uh, for the people. Yeah. You know, of, of southeastern New Mexico, because they they hadn't come to grips, you know, with 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 you know how popular, uh, you know, identifiable flying objects was going to be, and of course, alien life, you know, in the eighties was you know was shunned, and basically, if you want to coin the, you know you want to coin the phrase alienated, but you were alienated if you start talking about aliens, because it, it was it was it was almost taboo. So I never really ran into anyone who uh, counted aliens when I was in Roswell for that one year. But, you know, obviously, you know, they cashed in later, but, you know, with the advent of uh, X-Files and the great alien craze, you know, that's still going on in this country. But, you know, we are fascinated with outer space and inner space. And, of course, my favorite, the ocean. I am still 
I'm a devotee of the deep blue sea. That's where the answers are in the ocean. So at the bottom of the ocean, that's where everything is. Now, over the years, Vic, I've had people that say the earth is flat, that the earth is hollow. Uh, where are you at on that, Vic? Where are you at on that? The earth? Yeah, the earth. Is it, is it hollow? You think there's like a hole somewhere in the middle? You can go deep down in the No. Earth? No, you don't buy that. Yeah. You mean like, uh, <laughs> no, I, you know, let's face it, we have such incredible technology now. Yeah. We should know by now if the earth is flat. Yeah, just, just ask Kyrie Irving. <laughs> exactly. Now, I got to ask you this, Vic. When I My first memory of seeing Vic the Brick, you were on Channel 13 in L.A. You had the crazy jackets on, and you were throwing these foam bricks at the camera, which I thought was great. I loved that. That was, that was, that was hilarious to me, Vic. You were so different than everyone else on TV doing that. Where did that start? Did that start in Roswell? At what point did you decide, you see the brick, eat it, just like that? That's a great question. I was meditating on the atolls of Guam, seeking a stick. And I said, what rhymes with Vic? What rhymes with Vic? I know. How about the brick? And what I'll do is I'll have a foam rubber brick and throw it at the camera. And in my moments of anguish and frustration and exasperation, I will throw the brick at the camera and create a crashing sound effect when the, when the brick hits the camera. And that'll be outrageous. And it'll be fun. So it all started on the island of Guam. That was where the concept began. That was the genesis of the brick. I was just searching for shtick, you know, as we all are. Yes. You know, we're, searching for, we're searching for something that'll move the audience and move you as well. And once you are moved and the audience is moved, you have the magic. Yeah. And you, people don't, I don't think a lot of people, I know you've talked about this, but you, you went to Cornell, right, Vic? That's a major, it's an Ivy League institution. You, you went to a big time university uh, back in the day. How, what was Cornell like back then? High above Cayuga's waters, a sensational institution of learning. Uh, I don't know how I got in. Basically, I got very lucky because I spent my first two years at Cortland State in, uh, in Cortland, New York, home of the Red Dragons. Mm. And I had taken a lot of creative writing courses, and I had an incredible professor, and Paul Blackburn, who was the leader of the, of the Black Mountain Movement, who had studied and had written with Allen Ginsberg and Joel Oppenheimer and some of the great American poets of our time and space. And I had taken courses with him, and he was teaching me how to write which, of course, is the core of every sensational communicator, is writing. Because once you can write and you can flow with your, with, your, with your writing, then you're halfway there. But I had sensational, a sensational academia at Cortland, but I really ran out of courses. And Cornell was 30 miles away, and it was a great school, Ivy League school. And I petitioned for an interview. My, my, mar my marks were high. But I didn't have the pedigree. Didn't have the, you know, I didn't have the, uh, the savoir faire. Yeah. You know, really, of the typical Cornell student. I, basically, I told him, listen, I write a lot of poetry. I told my admissions guy, I write, a, I write a lot of poetry and I play a lot of basketball. They said, well, you are an unusual, unusual Cornell flavor. You have to come in for an interview. I said, I would love to. So I came in for the interview and I really went desperation. I went desperation on the interview. Don't ask me why. His name was Gordon Peck. He was the, 
the head of admissions, he was a cool dude, and I just said, Gordon, listen, if I don't get into Cornell, I will slip into the Bowery and start drinking and become an alcoholic. <laughs> Do you really want that on your consciousness? <laughs> and he starts laughing, and it was great. He says, that is hilarious. We don't have many people like you at Cornell. Let us reconsider your application. And six, six weeks later, I was in. Wow. That's crazy. I was sorry. It was a lucky break. You know, this was, you know, pre-digital, pre-computer. Everything, you know, was done on the phone or in person. Yeah. So this you, is, you know, circa, this is circa nineteen, what? Nineteen um, seventies, right? Sometime in the seventies or mid seventies. This is seventy. Yeah. I'm thinking seventy-two. Okay. All right. So early nineteen seventy-two. So you charmed seventy-two. Them. You charmed them, Vic. You charmed your way into Cornell. I got lucky. I had a very. You know, he was a very uh, embracing dude he was open you know he didn't want the same type you know of cornell you know a's across the board private school yeah uh he wanted a little something different yeah. and he was willing to take the chance and i thank gordon peck till, till this day he was a tr tremendous dude an adventurer and an academic freedom fighter well there have been some uh, cornell's a famous school Anybody, did you go to school with anybody that also made it in the business? I've been a number of media people that came out of Cornell over the years. Did anyone around that time that you went to school with turn out to have a big career? Well, Keith Alberman. Oh my God. Well, sure. the Cornell. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Alberman. I was not there when, when, uh, when Keith was there. Okay. But I think we just sort of, uh, uh overlapped one another. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think Bill Nye went there too. That science guy. I think he, I Bill think, Nye, the science guy. Yeah. He, there's some notable alumni. Absolutely. Yeah. Notable, notable alumni, you know, from Cornell, a sensational school, a gorgeous school, waterfalls on campus. And, um, I, I lived in a dorm my first year, Prudence Risley Hall, which was right above a beautiful gorge, a sensational 30 foot drop that uh, engineering students would so, sometimes plunge into after a, a, a pretty uh, down semester. But bottom line is, <laughs> I, I, never I, I couldn't take it that seriously because I was basically, you know, getting C's, but the, uh, it was an in intense academic uh, regime, uh, especially for myself. But you know, I got through it, you know, grinded it out, but it was a, a sensational school, no doubt. And the uh, high above Cayuga's waters, and a big uh, shout out, you know, to all the Cornell, all the Cornellians out there, and everybody grinding through, yeah. because it's you know, let's face it, you know, college is tough, but college is such an enlightening experience. Uh, I recommend it. But you know, these times of you know, incredible overnight success stories, you know, via social media, it's it's amazing the transformation, especially you know, in the broadcast industry and how it's all. It's all changed. You know, the flux is unbelievable. Yeah. If I, and Vic, you would have, if you had been around, you know, if you had started out now, you would have been like a YouTube star or a TikTok star. TikTok, I would, TikTok yeah. man. Yeah, you're all about that TikTok. Been, yeah. <laughs> TikTok. Everything would be TikTok. Yeah. I'd say TikTok. I'm not schlock. Look at me. I'm on TikTok. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it would be so different. There'd be no tapes. It'd be very, you know, everything would be digital. Everything would be, you know, on the web, yeah, and it's a it's a different it's a different adventure right now, and I and I applaud everyone who goes on that great adventure and enjoy it. Yeah, and you, when we were starting out AM eleven fifty, which became now you know AM five seventy, 
in L.A. You hosted, you were alongside, you were the John Stockton of radio with Carl Malone back in the, oh, back in the day. And I, I remember when we walked into Mike Thompson's office and, uh, you know, not you were not part of that, but he explained that he was going to hire Carl Malone. At the time, Malone was still playing for the Utah Jazz, and it was only supposed to be like a temporary type thing. And Vic the Brick, that thing lasted a long time, the Carl Malone show. And you you were right alongside setting the mailman up. What do you remember about that show? What was your favorite part of that show? The greatest part, and thank you for love for the mailman, Carl Malone, <laughs> was, uh, was, was called honesty. Because he knew from the beginning I, I definitely had some serious attitude towards him because of his uh, uh, archaic uh, attitude towards Magic Johnson, of course, and, and the whole AIDS controversy when he when he, he came out looking, you know, so, so ridiculous and sheltered, and I, I held that against Carl for, for not being, you know, more open, you know, to the situation. But he just didn't. He just didn't have the knowledge, uh, as a lot of people didn't. But uh, obviously, after spending so many great sessions with Carl. And talking to him, I, I realized he's really a great, a great soul who just lacked knowledge. And I tried to enlighten him, give him the knowledge, and he, you know, he broadened his spectrum. And I, I was surprised, you know, at, at his amazing array of subject matter that you know he could speak so beautifully on, you know, from, from you know flying an airplane uh, to chopping wood, you know, to his trucking empire. Uh, you know, we, we we didn't talk much hoops. It was mostly about life, calm alone on life. And he was sensational. You know, we talk about uh, Zen. Uh, we, we, we're talking, we were talking about, you know, life philosophy and family and gun control and, you know, flying the airplane. He always wanted to be, you know, uh, in, in the aeronautics industry and his amazing, uh, you know, business acumen. And of course, you know, food, you know, what he'd have for lunch that day, what he was offering, you know, call yeah. off the menu. <laughs> it, it was a, a, a fascinating. And of course, you know, I grew to, you know, to love Carl Malone. He, uh, you consider him you know, a good friend of mine. He's, uh, he was really an open spirit. And uh, I really, I cherished those days with the mailman. Yeah, that was a fun, crazy time. We had that Malone came in, Terry Bradshaw came in shortly after that. It was a wild time at that station. But I gotta gotta go back to uh, around that time. I think it was the year two thousand. Vic, one of my other favorite Vic the Brick stories. The Lakers were playing the Indiana Pacers in the NBA Finals. So whatever year that was, and I was doing a show with Dave Smith out where there's a store now at what used to be Staples Center. And we were going to do this post game after the Lakers, you know, going to win the championship and all that. And so we were going to do the post game thing. Well, at, they had a bunch of fans that were watching the game on the video board and the Lakers won and there was civil unrest. There were, we were watching this happen right in front of us as we were preparing to do the show. And uh, there was a, a fire that was set. People were running around dancing it turned out to be a, like a small riot in downtown L.A. after the Lakers had won. And I remember, Vic, we sent you out in the mayhem as our roving reporter. And I will never forget, 
the people loved you. We were concerned about you. There were you know, police everywhere in riot gear and all kinds. It was a, a lockdown situation. And you were strolling around, Vic. Do you remember that night in the middle of all the chaos that was going on around that arena? It was a poignant night. It was an amazing crossroads of emotions for everyone. And I did. I roamed into the into the fray. Uh, it was, you know, m my heart was torn because I saw the sea of God being, you know, being, you know, split when we all should have been under the umbrella of love. But obviously, it was an opportunity, you know, for negative energy to enter this situation. And, and I believe they had set fire to a police car. And I went into the fray, and I saw about, I would say, 50, 50 to 100 uh, police in riot gear just standing there uh, around the, the burning police car. And I went into that fray with the fans and was reporting you know, what was happening, that, you know, that there was a, you know, a, a section of the city that was out of control, but, you know, 99% of, of the fans were, you know, were celebrating beautifully, but there was, you know, there was an, an ugly percentage, you know, that had lost control. And obviously we all lose, you know, with, with the optics. Yeah. When everyone sees, you know, the, the flames and the overturned vehicles and the, and the, you know, the broken windows. So everyone loses when, when those optics are revealed you know, to the world. But being there, I knew it was just a very small fraction you know, of, of Los Angeles that had, that, uh, had released this, you know, this toxicity you know, on, on, this on this beautiful moment. And I reported it as I saw it. And I know you were very concerned, but I was safe at all times. The fans had my back. But I just wanted to you know, report the truth, what was going on you know, right in front of which was then Staples Center, the downtown Hoop Dojo, which is now, you know, Crypto.com. But at, at that time, it was a, a very, very razor's edge emotion. And it was scary, no doubt. I was, you know, I, I, was, uh, I, was, I was in fear for the city. I was never in fear for, for, for myself. I was in fear for the, for the city losing it. But you know, the people came together and great patience for the LAPD. And the, and the riot squad in their patience because they did not make any major moves of, of, of violence. You know, they protected the, you know, the burnt out police car, but yeah. they did not descend on the crowd and they let the crowd, you know, break up in, you know, peaceably. So I must say it was, it was handled, you know, with incredible skill, yeah. incredible skill, but it was scary. And, I know you guys were inside, and I'm, 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 I'm reporting as, you know, as best I can under some very hostile conditions, but let's face it, uh, this, this is what we do. We have to spread the truth and tell the people what's going on. And that's, that, that, was, that was vital. And to, and to be that vital energy for the people, uh, I was honored and humbled. Yeah, no, and we were there. We had a glass window in front of us, and we had the window to the where we we could only see what was going on right on the street in front of the arena as they were dancing around a bonfire. And I remember walking back to my car that night, Vic, and the it was the police car that was burned out. There was a TV news van from Channel Two in LA that also got burned up in that, and the smell of that. Why well, it was crazy, but the the fans just loved you. 
and, and all that. Now, uh, moving on, Vic, we don't have too much time. So I, I wanted to get to this. Now, you have been beloved by the athletes in L.A. And I was trying to think, is there a top five list of athletes over the years, Vic, that have really bonded with the poncho? I can think of two off the top of my head. The late Kobe Bryant. You had a good relationship with Kobe. And, and Yasiel Puig from the Dodgers. Who else would be on that short list, Vic, of guys that really got you? And you connected with Kobe Bryant. God among men is my, of course, my my all time uh, blissful brother. He is a spirit that will live on eternally, not just here in Los Angeles, but around the world. And I love that man. I miss that man so much. We all do. Bless Kobe. Bless Kobe and bless Vanessa and the girls. He connected and always had my back. I just saw a recent post where Steve Nash was a member of the Phoenix Suns, and we were doing a, they were playing the, the Lakers doing a, a playoff series. And I, I asked a, a really mellow question to Nash. I said, "Steve, do you expect so much production from the Lakers bench tonight?" And I'm wearing my Laker poncho, of course, and the Laker, and the Laker amulets, and you know the purple and gold for uh, mink fur. And Nash, it was, he was funny. He says, do I detect a New York accent? And if so, why are you a Laker fan? And I said, Steve, I'm rocking the purple and gold, and we're in this town. And it's a Laker town, man. And the Lakers are the squad. And he said, I'm disappointed. And so two days later, Kobe's at the podium, same series. And Kobe, I'm asking Kobe, asking Kobe a question. And even before I ask the question, Kobe says, Vic, I don't know what Steve Nash is talking about, but I got your back, man. I got your back with Phil. We're wearing the Lake of Punch. And this is before I even spoke. And I just said, thank you, Kobe. Thank you, man, for having my back, which is gracias. And he, that's just the class of Kobe Bryant, the incredible dignity and class of Kobe being Bryant. We love him forever. Uh, who else connected with the poncho? I have to say Manny Ramirez. Oh, Manny. 99. Yes, right. He loved you. He did. Love Manny Ramirez. Of course, you see our Puig. Uh, right now in the current, the current Dodgers, Justin Turner, Red Samurai, very, very in, into the, the way of the poncho, the way of the Samurai. Another Dodger, I would say Dave Roberts, also very in tune uh, with the poncho and the way of the warrior. And bless the Azul this year. Freddie Freeman's going to have an amazing year. I'm, I'm just... I'm just, you know, coming to see what an alternate curveball curve there. But Freddie Freeman's swing. Wow. Sweet. I mean, this is, this is we haven't had a, I can't think of a sweeter swing in a while. He makes, you know, contact so, it seems so simple. And when he goes opposite field, I just love how he inside outs, you know, and laces the single to left. I just love that. It kind of reminds me, you know, when Bellinger was in the groove a couple of years ago in the MVP season. You know, when yeah. Belly was in such a zone, you know, but Freddie's in that zone like every at bat. That's the, that's the, that's, that's well, the key Vic, to baseball. Well, Vic, just... Listen, we're in the Goldilocks zone with the Dodgers. I mean, we, we've been around for a while. You've been lo- around longer than I have, but you remember the Dodgers back in the day, they'd go years where they'd be kind of mediocre, average teams. The last 10 years of Dodger baseball, they've become like the, the old Yankees. They're in the playoffs or the Atlanta Braves. They're in the playoffs every year. It's a birthright now to be in the playoffs for the Dodgers. You're almost guaranteed. It's a, ju- it's a juggernaut. Yeah. It's a juggernaut. And 
I don't. I believe that Philly had one more starting pitcher. I believe well, they're one starting pitcher away from total domination, but the starting lineup is 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 really strong. Other listen, other clubs improved, but that Freddie Freeman into this mix just gives Dave Roberts so much mobility and freedom to mix and match, and you know, get incredible setups. You know, left, right, left, right, left, right. There isn't an easy out. If you're going to grind through a lineup, man, and you're going to go through Freeman, and you're going to go through Betts, and you're going to go through the Turners, and then you got to go through Muncie, and then, you know, you got to go through Will Smith, and then, you know, it's just wild. And, you know, Chris Taylor, it's just, you know, it's, you know, it's just a wild lineup. I just love it so. It's just uh, a tremendous thing to see. And I just love seeing Clayton Kershaw pitching so well, by the way. I mean, if anyone, for me, the revelation of the spring has been Clayton Kershaw. Every, you know, the ball seems to have a nice break, nice velocity. You know, it seems like he's going to be the Clayton. You know, I think Clayton's going to win uh, 12 to 15 games this year. And that's going to be uh, sensational. Yeah. Urias is going to have a wonderful year. And, you know, and of course, the bullpen looks strong. And Walker Buell is, a, you know, a warrior. It's it's going to be wonderful watching Dodger baseball this year, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of clubs out there. You know, Dave Roberts gave that guarantee. I said, let's play them out. Let's have some fun and enjoy the game. We got hardball, man. That's the key. Yeah, we, we got, got some hardball, we, man. We got baseball. It's coming baseball. Real baseball coming we got next. Got the baseball, uh, man. Next week, Vic. I, I gotta, I gotta go out and see you at the ballpark. I'm gonna hang out. Vic. We gotta break bread, me and you. I've not seen you in too long, Vic. We're going to break bread at some point. That's in the near future, Vic. we got to make that happen. Got to make that. And I'm more- still finding some health issues, but, you know, day by day, day by day, Ben. Yeah, how are you doing? i got to ask Mo- you about it. I know you've, you've been Momento through- on momento. I still, I still have an immune system out of control. Okay, all right. You know, I'm just controlling it. But, you know, day by day, we just, you know, you know, I'm grinding through a very tough at back. All right. All right, well, you listen, know, we, like, we, whatever we can do I'm to help. I'm grinding through it. a tough at yeah. back, and uh, let's face it, Every pitch is a blessing. Yeah. You're a Hall of Famer, Vic, though. You're in the, aren't you in the Southern California Jewish Sports Hall of Famer? I read that you're, a few years ago. Who knew? How about that? Hall of Famer, Vic the Brick in the Hall of Fame. Awesome. Steve Hoffman was petitioning. <laughs> All right. Listen, Vic, I love you, man. Uh, get that health back. Yeah, keep fighting the fight. And, uh, and thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. No, thank you. You have a wonderful show. Everyone listen to Ben Malaman. It's a sensational show. Ben, you are a warrior as well. Your longevity and your your takes and your content have been fantastic for decades. I always love listening to you and hanging with you. You're a great vibe. Loving you, Ben Mala. You're the man, Vic. Thank you.